0: And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer.
1: Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here. Uh, It's Tuesday. It's uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which means we are live here uh, for our show. So uh, if you happen to be tuning in live, awesome. Love to have you be a part of the conversation today, and you can do that by hopping on Twitter and sending us questions, comments, feedback, whatever it may be, using that hashtag Talent Talk. If you're listening via a podcast, you're actually joining uh, well most of the audience, and um, you can still uh, tweet us and send us things after the fact, and we're happy to respond uh, You know, after the show. That's no problem. But you know, actually, as I said, most people come in, and they listen to the podcast on iTunes or, or listen on iHeartRadio, um, and we're, uh, really ecstatic. We have over 10,000 people a day coming in and hearing a show, interacting with us, with us there. Um, and so we're really trying to get the, uh, social media component of that, uh, kind of going a little bit stronger. So we'd love to have you comment there. If you're on other platforms, look for us, uh, People g 2 you can, you can do it there. But, um, in case this happens to be the first time that you're tuning into the show, uh, what, you know, kind of give you a little understanding of how it started, um, You know, As I have had the privilege of meeting some really cool and interesting people who who are pushing the boundaries of talent, being thought leaders on culture and employee engagement and leadership, um, I generally like to pick their brains and find out what makes them tick and what they're thinking about and what I might be able to learn from them. And so this show is really that culmination of of being able to bring those people together uh, with me and have that conversation in a format where you can listen in and you can be a part of it. Um, and uh, hopefully learn something that you can take back to your uh, companies, uh, back into your work, back into your family life and your friends, whatever it may be, uh, to hopefully make you a little bit of a better person. So anyways, um, I have two uh, guests on today's show. Uh, My first guest will be uh, Carol Anderson, principal at Anderson Performance Partners. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in uh, Scott Wintrip, CEO and President of, you guessed it, Wintrip Consulting Group. So we're bringing in some uh, entrepreneurs uh, here today. Um, But let's go ahead and get started and focus in on my first guest, uh, Carol. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you having me.
1: Yeah. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and, of course, what you do over there, what your company is all about at uh, Anderson Performance Partners.
2: Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, We are uh, a husband and wife duo who have a background in HR and a background as a CEO, and we've kind of brought it together to help organizations focus on the people part of their business, I guess. Uh, I started my career in the Marine Corps, and when you think about that, that's kind of an early role model for how to do leadership and performance management and after I got out into my civilian career, I realized that, uh, and I went into other industries like retail and finance and healthcare. care, I realized that there, not everybody was quite as advanced in those things as the Marine Corps was. But what I noticed was there were two things going on in organizations that seemed to get in their way. One was that they work in silos, and the other is that they look for solutions without clearly understanding the problem. So that's really the basis for the work that we do is help organizations understand how to how to really make the people part of their business work really, really well.
1: Well, that sounds like uh, a really fun and interesting uh, uh, thing to do every day uh, if you're able to go in and, and help companies do that. You know, as we were it's sort of great. getting, I'm getting ready for this interview, I'm kind of looking at your your, link, your LinkedIn profile, and something kind of really caught my eye, and it was this statement that you start your bio out with. So I thought I'd read it here, and maybe you could kind of give us your thoughts on where this comes from. Um, you, so you, you put on there, I believe in the power of human resources, not just the human beings who actually make the organizations work, but the, also the professional discipline found in most organizations. So let's maybe start with the first part of that uh, statement and talk about where you feel the power of human resources comes from? What, what, what are you What are you talking about when you, as you say that?
2: Well, my favorite thing to ask folks when I'm talking with groups or, or workshops is, what in the organization gets done that isn't done through people? And after a whole lot of years and a whole lot of talks, I've never had anybody be able to come up with anything. Um, you can always trace the work of an organization back to something that somebody does or doesn't do. So. I think that's the power behind any business is the way to get people engaged, motivated, and uh, kind of thinking on their own so that they can do the very best job that they can do for you.
1: You know, so if we we look at those parts of of an organization, um, uh, and you're talking about that human element, right, that people are bringing in, So where do you see human resources being able to accelerate that part of the business?
2: (laughs) That's the the $64,000 question. And, you know, I, you know, as well as I do that human resources has been under the gun in a major way, really for the last three or four years as organizational operational leaders are rebelling against doing a lot of what they consider to be HR work and busy work. And, it's, it's in a very awkward place right now. So from my perspective, I guess what I would say is what human resources can do is systemic leadership development. <laughs> what I mean by that is that it, it really all boils down to how do you build the culture for the leaders to lead and the employees to thrive? And there's only you know, as much as we try to talk around leaderless organizations or uh, sharing leadership and things like that, somebody has to be able to make a decision. And it's that decision that's being made that propels the business farther along or farther behind. And that's a leader's responsibility. So from my perspective, I think HR has because we've really come into our own because of compliance, if you will, um, we we grew our professional discipline to keep organizations out of trouble. Uh, don't do this, don't do this, because you're going to get in trouble. We need to shift that and say it's not just you must do this, it's what do you want the business to be? And what are you willing to do in order to create the atmosphere so that that's what the people in the business do, whether it's leaders or employees. So you talk about Um, all
1: these different pieces that, um, you know, busy work, there are things that, from a compliance standpoint, maybe the, the less fun parts of HR, but how do we get past that, right? How do we get past that current state that a lot of companies are in to really be able to help organizations you know, move into a more strategic role, into a more dynamic role where, uh, you know, we're pointing in the right direction for them to go do their best work? Well, that's a good
2: question. Um, and what I have discovered is that there's only one way, and that's by asking good questions. Um, when you ask leaders what it is they want, they have an investment in the outcome. When you say to the leaders, you must do this, they have no investment. So my focus, and, and as, as we work with our clients, it's to really ask, "What is it you want to be when you grow up?" And let's let's clearly outline what that looks like. But then the second step is, um, do you want to do that? Because here's what it's going to take in order to make that happen. We use buzzwords all over the all over the place. We want to be an employer of choice. We want to be, you know, uh, excellent. But the reality is to to get there, that takes a lot of work. And so helping leadership understand what needs to happen and what it means from them to make it happen is really where we've had our most success.
1: So I love that you kind of started that off with, you know, it starts with asking good questions. And um, I have found that to be a very, very true statement, right? We ask the right questions. We get people thinking, get them imagining and dreaming about what really can be possible um, as opposed to walking in and telling them what to do or what not to do. Um, You know, if we look at maybe we ask the right questions and we've come up with the right direction and the right things to do, then we need the right people to really leverage and and take us forward, right? Whether um, we could use the analogy of you need the right coach. You can have the right players in the right direction and the right ownership. Let's say if a sports team, you still need the right coach or or leader to get you there. So have you noticed certain styles or leadership types that, you know, are more effective in really helping an organization have that sort of game-changing, you know, elevation?
2: Well, actually... My answer to that is probably, well, it kind of depends. It depends on the organization, their culture, their um, their interests, their, their the nature of the work that they do. Um, and I think that different leaders are better, perhaps, in, in a, one culture than in another culture. But what I found that it all boils down to is not necessarily the leadership skills or the leadership style, but it's having somebody in a leadership role, who clearly understands that that's the role, they're skilled in executing on on what that really means, and they're also intellectually curious so that they continue to learn on their own and they're not waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. Um, and that kind of, here's the the systemic part of it, they're held accountable for the performance and development of their teams. And to, to be able to, to grab a leader, I guess, from a quality perspective, having that intellectual curiosity and that clear role of how important their role as a leader is, is what I would look for.
1: Yeah, and those are all great things. Um, you know, I know it'll kind of last, late last year you wrote an article uh, about ongoing performance management. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about what are some of the forward-thinking companies doing to ensure that, you know, performance management is, an o- is ongoing and also effective.
2: <laughs> Those are two really good words, and I think everybody's struggling with it right now. Um, it, and I was, uh, as I was um, thinking about this uh, earlier today, I looked at a book on my bookshelf from 2000, and the book was titled Abolishing Performance Appraisals. It isn't new news that this stuff isn't working. Um, and everybody now is jumping on the bandwagon to eliminate ratings, eliminate scorings, eliminate the link to compensation. And all of those things are potentially helpful, but it goes back again to what is it you want your performance management system to do and to be. And if you want it to actually improve performance, that's a whole different ballgame than sitting for an hour once a year and and having a fairly ineffective conversation with employees. So when when we work with clients, we work to help them define what they want. You know, what do you want to see measurable performance? Because if you do, we want to measure that. And we want to see if it, in fact, happens. And then we want to tweak it to come back and, and figure out why it didn't happen or how we can make it even better. Um, and I don't think there is one easy answer to performance management. Uh, I think it's really back to that situation of what do you want it to do for you and what are you willing to invest in order to get it done
1: yeah absolutely and you know there's always that balance between it seems like the once a year thing just isn't enough um Hmm. and there's too much maybe put on it on the flip side it can get overwhelming and and slow uh, your your team down your leaders down if maybe you're doing it too much um, we've seen people that are, you know, daily or weekly. I mean, it's just, you start to get o- overrun by constantly, you know, kind of a paralysis through analysis. Um, have you seen well, a, listen, a happy medium in there somewhere?
2: Yeah, I really can. And I think that's a really good point, Chris, because one of the things that we have um, kind of stuck to like glue in HR is that everybody has to be treated exactly the same. And what I think I'm beginning to realize and what I'm seeing as I work with clients is that that's kind of an old-fashioned notion that everybody has to be treated exactly the same. Some people are very fine with, you're doing great, let's move forward, others need something more. And I think part of a leadership role is to figure out how to have those conversations, first of all, Let's look at what the person's doing. Let's see how they're doing it. Let's look at what they need. And then let's figure out the best way to get that information to them. So it's not about creating these goals that are going to sit in a system somewhere for two year, for a year and finally be looked at. It's about having regular conversations, however that regular is defined, based on the leader and the employee. And in some formal way, being able to document that, at some frequency. I have clients who wanted to go from, after going through the soul searching about what do you want your performance to be, and they actually asked their employees what they wanted, they wanted more frequent conversation. Um, It's been a learning experience for all of us because they keep going back to thinking that the more frequent conversation means that they have to take an hour and write that very, very long document four times a year instead of one time a year. Doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, but it just, again, it boils down to what do you want to accomplish and what are you willing to do to get there?
1: Yeah. Well, you brought up an excellent point and reminded me of the first time I was exposed to this idea. I remember watching a documentary on uh, Pat Summit, the Tennessee Vols uh, women's uh-huh. basketball coach, a famous coach. And, and yeah. she said in this uh, team meeting they were showing, I will never treat you all the same, but I will treat you all fairly. And that really stuck with me that we can't treat people, even if we try, exactly the same because they're all different and they all have different variables and different uh, things that we have to consider. But we can treat them all fairly with the same, you know, um, uh, passion and the same uh, courtesy and things like that. But, you know, we, they're, they're all different. We, we, if we try to put them all in the same bucket, it just, we, you know, it doesn't work. So you bring up a wonderful point. I appreciate you, you bringing that up.
2: And that's a good that's a good quote too I appreciate you sharing that
1: so you mentioned uh, a book that you had on your on your shelf that you refer you kind of looked at so one of our favorite things is to ask our guests about books that they may be reading or often suggest so is there one right now that you're kind of tinkering through or that you're maybe tell people they should go check out
2: absolutely um, I go through a lot of books but this one really got my attention with the title and sometimes the title doesn't prove to be as good a book as the title suggests, but this one does. The title is A Failure of Nerve, and the subtitle is Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix by a gentleman named Edward Friedman. And what what got my attention was Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix because having spent so much time in corporate America, I, I would get so frustrated with leaders who start with the solution because the vendor came in and told them this is going to work and, and they couldn't. It didn't work because it wasn't the right solution for the problem. Um, so I, I started reading this and it, it's very, it's not probably the easiest book to read, but basically it boils down to the fact that we get we as leaders get so caught up in the emotionalism of people, their their reaction to things, their their desire for things, their interest in doing something—that we forget that our role really is to look very pragmatically at the business issues in front of us and make a decision. And sometimes that decision is hard. But until we make that decision and we're we're grounded in good um, research, then we continue to flail around wherever somebody's emotions take us. And I find the book to be fascinating.
1: Well, it sounds like a great one to check out. Um, I mean, you're right, uh, the quick fixes very often. <laughs> what what we do or what we have time for are all that an organization can muster sometimes, and yeah, mm-hmm. going deeper seems a, a much better thing. Uh, you know, another one—a question that we've added this year—that's kind of becoming a part of our regular uh, kind of favorite questions to ask because we get such interesting and and uh, varied responses—is, you know, is there a gadget or an app or something that you're using now that you know you recently discovered that you know it's it's, it's your new I can't live without it or you find it extremely useful or makes you more productive or whatever it may be—is there something out there that you have added to your life recently?
2: No, not really. I'm a big believer in Outlook. Um, I use it for for everything. I use it to keep myself focused on where I need to be, when I need to be and what I need to do. Um, And it's a pretty robust tool in and of itself. I'm pretty into the basics and not all that big on on gadgets and stuff. But Outlook, you take that away from me and I think I would flounder.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, some of our past guests have recently have mentioned apps like Flipboard, and I I found that really useful uh, to curate content uh, that you might care about and be able to have it all in one place. And, um, and there's lots of lots, lots of cool things out there that we love to kind of bring attention. But yeah, uh, I wish it's, I, I,
2: I I truly wish I had the time to look at them. But I think there are some very cool things out there.
1: Well, and you mentioned Outlook; it's almost a given. I mean, I, I probably spend you know. <laughs> way too many hours yeah. in that platform every day but uh, yeah. between that between that and the iphone uh it's amazing how that has just become a given of something we expect oh, yeah. to work and work well for us and then we moved on to other things so <laughs> um, you know is there anyone uh in your life this is a kind of an old question that we we, we like to bring up from time to time that you really find uh, uh, to have been kind of a foundational uh, person in your leadership development that, you know, was the person that maybe uh, kind of grounded for you what a leader is or maybe set you on that path to, to learn about yourself as a leader? You know, is there someone in your life that you can remember kind of having that big impact on you?
2: Well, professionally, I suppose that I'd have to say the, the boss that I worked with um, worked for for probably almost 20 years in multiple different places, um, mainly because he kind of threw me out there and told me to fly. And if I crashed, he would uh, kind of say, well, what would you do wrong and what you're not going to do the next time? Um, And it was a very, very trusting relationship because I I gained so much confidence by virtue of the fact that... um, I was trusted to be able to do something, uh, and so I've I've always tried to take that I've always tried to take that premise and use it with folks to let them know that that I trust them, I believe in them, um, and of course you always want to trust but verify, and and he was pretty good at that too. He would usually if he wasn't sure he would say so. Let me hear your plan, and he would help me a little bit if that plan wasn't quite right but that was probably the best influence for me
1: and do you think that that was you know what percentage of that was his style right that he may have used on everybody and how much of that was you know trusting in someone a skilled and um and reliable smart person that seemed to have a lot of potential um you you know to do the job and, and letting them go and have the autonomy to do their job i mean do you think there's a Sixty forty, 40 a fifty
2: fifty. there wow that's an interesting question um i think it was his style I, I it was just an aversion to micromanagement um and there have been times when i've looked back and said gee i wish you would have micromanaged that person over there a little bit more but i i think it was with his style i'd like to think that it was his trust in me as well
1: right right probably some like I said, some combination there because, you know, I, I went back and realized a while back that I had some bosses who I thought were really hands-off and gave me a lot of autonomy. But, I you know, I had other, met other people who used to work for them, and they had the opposite experience. And I thought, you know what, maybe it had something to do with the person as well, not just the management style. So when that's come up, I've tried to try to dig in a little deeper. But, um, well, I
2: think that goes back to the concept of uh, what you were saying with Pat Summit. You know, don't don't treat them the same, but treat them fairly. Understand where they're coming from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure that I uh, give you an opportunity to kind of summarize what we've talked about today. You know, if somebody only heard one thing, if they were in and out of paying attention to our conversation today, but they remembered one thing that you said, what would you hope they might take back with them? <laughs>
2: Solve the right problem when you're applying any kind of business decision because every single thing that any employee does at any time is going to cost you money and you want to make sure that money's going to the right place.
1: That's great advice. And uh, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more um, about opportunities with uh, Anderson Performance Partners?
2: They can certainly visit us on the web at AndersonPerformancePartners.com. And I have a pretty active blog with uh, at the uh, at dot com, and I'm fairly regularly published in TLNT uh, from an HR perspective and Biz Catalyst from a executive perspective.
1: So get out there and uh, do a search there for uh, Carol Anderson. Uh, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, been great thank you. Could have gone uh, even deeper into some of the other areas that you mentioned. Maybe we'll have you come back at some point, give us an update on uh, how you're doing and uh, and learn some more from you.
2: Sounds good. I'd be happy to. I learned something from you too, and I appreciate it.
1: All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back with my uh, second guest, Scott Wintrip. Um, also, don't forget you can check out my new book, uh, The Power of Company Culture, by visiting or by sending an email to book at PeopleG2 or finding us on 800CEORead.com.
3: Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. If you're just uh, joining me, you missed a nice interview we had with uh, Carol Anderson, a Principal at Anderson Performance Partners. Um, and don't forget, you can go back and listen to the, uh, that interview as well as the one we're about to have. On the episode, we'll post here in about a week or so on iTunes in the podcast uh, section there. You can also pick it up on iHeartRadio. You can always listen to us there. Um, And also, if you can't find any of those, we also have talenttalkradio.com where you can pick those up. I'd love to have you tune in and listen to past shows. Uh, As I mentioned at the end of the uh, interview there, I'm going to bring up again. but you know, some big promotions here in January from my book, The Power of Company Culture, which comes from a lot of the interviews and things we've been doing here on the show. Uh Love Free, if you want to find out more about how you can uh, get a copy or be involved with the promotions, you can send an email to book at peopleg2.com. You can also uh, go to the website culturedceo.com, and there is a link uh, on that page for the book and the promotions and everything we're doing, um, or just tweet us. I'm sure you can find some way to get a hold of us if you're interested. So let's go ahead and get to my next guest here. We have Scott a uh, CEO and president of Wintrip Consulting Group. Um, and uh, don't forget to tweet us your questions and any comments you have to at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, TalentTalk. Scott, let's go ahead and bring you in. Thanks so much for joining me today.
4: Chris, I am so happy to be here. Congrats on the book, by the way. I love the co- cover of it. It just cracked me the moment I looked at it.
1: Good. I, I appreciate that. You know what's really funny is um, that is not the cover that I wanted, and my publisher came back to me and said, yeah, we didn't get such a good um, feedback on the cover you wanted, so we're going to go with this one. And I went, well, okay. <laughs> they said, everyone else loved the yellow one. And I went, all right, because I, I kind of wanted red. I think red and power, but apparently it didn't work out. But everyone seems to like the yellow one, so we're good.
4: <laughs> it looks great. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, what's the. What we should know about you and, of course, you know what you're doing over there with your company and your consulting group.
4: So I think the most important thing for listeners to know is that I help companies build wealth, specifically talent wealth. And these talent-rich companies that I work with, they dominate their markets and they exceed their goals. And they do that because of their wealth of top-notch people. I've been doing this work for the past 19 years. My company, the Windtrip Consulting Group, has served organizations in all industries across the globe. And in addition to being a consultant and an author, I know we're going to talk about the book a little bit, I'm also a keynote speaker. And I'm very blessed to be able to speak to as many as 25,000 people in a year on the topic of building talent-rich companies.
1: Well, that's a lot of people, and, uh, you know, I kind of do some speaking as well, but I'm not sure if I talk to 25,000 people a year, so that's a pretty impressive number. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. You mentioned the book last year. You published a book, uh, High Velocity Hiring, How to Hire Top Talent in an
4: Instant. Um,
1: So what is high velocity hiring? Why don't you walk us through that?
4: Sure. So high velocity hiring allows companies to eliminate their hiring delays forever. And I'm really uh, most excited that the book was named a must-read by Sherm's HR magazine last year. So really proud of that. The the process that I I cover in the book is the process I've been using since the inception of our consultancy in 1999. Uh, It's a process for leaders to be able to fill one, several, or all of their jobs the instant they become open. And by following this system, the companies that use it, they generate a more consistent flow of top talent, which is one of the reasons they can't hire is they have an inconsistent flow. It also allows the leaders conducting interviews to do them faster because they see absolute proof whether or not a candidate fits a job or not. And ultimately, it allows these leaders and companies to create a pool of ready-to-hire people so that they have the talent they need right when they need it.
1: Well, I mean, that's, a, that, that, that's a, something I think like most companies want to be able to do and want to be able to do effectively. Um, how do some of these bigger corporations then leverage uh, the power of these people that you're bringing in? I mean, how, how are we taking advantage of, of that ability to bring in people, you
4: know, quickly and correctly? Yeah, you know, that's, a, that's an important question, especially coming from the guy who talks about the power of company culture. So you, you get power. Big, orga- big organizations are powered by people, and that culture is empowered or undermined by the quality of those people. I, Chris, I like to say that people are the engines that make companies go. So to leverage people power, these large organizations are doing three things in particular. The first one is they're making smart choices. this starts with picking the right people in my book i talk about a higher right profile it's my blueprint for picking the right people that's where having great talent building a powerful company culture and being able to reach your goals begins as you make smart choices and one of the things i discovered in my work and in researching the book is how much emotions are undermining hiring Uh, we often you know take feelings and turn them into facts unintentionally by having a blueprint, we take the emotion that's inherent in hiring, just like there's emotion in dating. So a lot of similarities between hiring and dating. By following this blueprint, leaders in big organizations are making smarter choices. The second thing that they're doing to leverage people power is they're viewing accountability. Leaders in these companies, they view accountability as an act of compassion. I find that there's a lot of people who are really, really nice. In fact, I gave a person syndrome. And that's how often it shows up. I gave it a name. A lot of nice people. And when you're promoted into leadership, holding other people accountable doesn't feel nice, so people hold back. Yet holding people to task, requiring them to do the key things that are required is one of the most compassionate things that we can do as leaders and that leaders in big organizations can do because by doing that, they're getting the best from their people and they're leveraging that people power. Then the third thing that these companies are doing, is they're engaging the entire person. I suspect you're talking about this in your book as well. Uh, they're, they're looking at the person holistically, their strengths and their weaknesses. They're leveraging those strengths. They're using strengths to counteract weaknesses, but they're engaging the whole person. They're, they're looking at a career path. They're looking at how that person can contribute to the organization now and in the future, and that's taken into consideration when hiring. So, you know, by making smart choices, viewing accountability as an act of compassion, and engaging the whole person, that's how we really leverage people power. And it's what the great companies that are talent-rich that are doing, it's why they've got the competition in their rearview mirror. They don't even think about them. They glance every now and then, but they're full steam ahead going after their goals, setting new precedents, uh, creating new innovation. And these companies are, are inspiring because of how they leverage their people.
1: And how does this compare, then, we're talking about big companies that are, you know, maybe have the the power, and that power could be the resources and the money and everything else to do all that, but when you look at maybe small companies that are, we could probably put this in two buckets, those that are doing it well and those that aren't, what, what are you seeing there?
4: Mm. <laughs> so what should we talk about, those that aren't doing it well or those that are? I mean, it's, it, well, you know what, Chris, I'll answer it the same way, is, they're following these three ideas as well. Uh, in fact, I could make the case it's even more important in a small business that you make smart choices, that you view accountability as an act of compassion and engage the whole person. So why is that especially important in a small business? Well, this the whole thing of we talked about how many different hats does somebody wear. It's inevitable in a small business that one person is going to wear more hats at least some of the time. So we've got to pick people. We've got to bake into our hiring profiles, that hire right profile I talked about, somebody who has the, the ability to change gears. We better hire people who can do that. We need to hire flexible people who need to do lots of different things. So we've got to make sure that's baked in and make smart choices around that. You know, accountability is so critical in a small business. You, you've probably seen this, I'm sure, where, you know, the business owner in particular sees something not being done well, and what do they often do? They do it themselves. So now they're taking their their eye off of leading the business, and now they're running the business too much of the time. So they must hold people accountable to doing what they're supposed to do. Otherwise, they get mired down in the day-to-day operation of the business, and they're not seeing the big picture. And then lastly, if we're going to keep uh, employees happy in a small business, we have to engage that whole person there as well. We have to leverage that people power, because people have more choices than ever. Uh, It was just... uh, working on um, some final touches to a new keynote that I'm doing and was looking at the number of open software developer jobs, for example, in San Jose, California. And, and the, the ratio between people and jobs is stunning. Uh, at any given time, there's about, you know, in a six-month period, 4,000-some people available as software developers and 50,000-some jobs. Now, that's an extreme example, but that's existing all over the United States in lots of different worlds. So if we don't take care of these people and engage the whole person, they're going to go take that people power somewhere else to a place that will appreciate and engage all of them.
1: Well, and that's certainly one of those extreme examples of uh, the supply and the demand are really, really off in those areas. um, If you can be a good programmer, if you're good in that space, you can make a lot of money and this is a good time to, to be in those roles. That's not your forte. Um, it's a it's still a, a buyer's market. Still, you know, uh, employers, employee, excuse me, employees seem to still have a lot of power right now. The the market's pretty thin. Um, so, it, you know, I'm imagining that um, this is coming up. That these types of topics and things are coming up in some of the work that you're doing when you're facilitating strategic planning sessions inside of organizations. Um, you know, can you talk about what are some of the the big areas, the big buckets that you're seeing companies need the most help with? coming into the next year or two?
4: Sure, and, and you know, this is, um, <clears throat> this is something I'm really glad you brought up because we can learn from the, the successes and the mistakes of others. So when, when I'm helping organizations facilitate effective planning sessions, I tend to walk them through three steps, and I'll give you an example of this as well that really illustrates when organizations do it right. So the first step when I'm leading these sessions is about picking meaningful goals. And I say meaningful goals because these are the kind of goals that have to have you leaping out of bed in the morning for them to motivate everyone from leadership on down. So, for example, there on the West Coast where you're located, one of the companies I'm working with in the insurance industry right now wants to dominate one of their market segments. They've never dominated this before. They've been a player, but they've never been dominant. And and when we talked about it around the leadership table, the goal actually came from conversations about what staff wanted. They had pulled their staff prior to the conversation about picking goals. And the staff was very tired of playing second fiddle to some lesser competitors out there. And, And so this bubbled up from staff. I thought it was brilliant because now trying to motivate people to do this isn't hard because it came from their people. So first, we pick meaningful goals. The second thing in effective planning is that we design a sustainable approach for reaching those goals. Well, what makes something sustainable? Because that's the magic word in this. I believe in the KISS principle. I just don't like the stupid version. So my version of the KISS principle when it comes to planning is keep it short and simple. And if we keep something short, and and memorable, and it's not pages and pages and reams and reams of information, people are likely to instill it and remember it. And if we keep it simple, simple is sustainable. It's more easily executable. So one of the ways that we're working now, because this plan is in place, is they're looking to dominate through people, you know, leveraging their people power. So they are hiring people quickly, and they're, they're building talent inventory, something I talk about in my book. Their goal, and they've actually achieved this goal now, is that the moment any seats open in their organization, whether it's a newly created role and they're doing a lot of that because of their growth or one where somebody gives notice and there's not a lot of that happening, their goal is that role is filled within minutes. Why? Because they've lined up ready to hire talent. So as part of this sustainable approach to dominating the market, they know they have to have people, so they built this talent inventory for this one role. Now they're moving on to a different role, and they're going to be able to do that in the organization as well. So that's a sustainable approach. They're, they're incrementally increasing their bandwidth of people. And then the third thing is consistently acting on that plan. So you've got the meaningful goals, you've got the sustainable approach, but you've got to act on that plan, the execution. So the other thing I encourage companies to put in place are what I call MDRs, minimum daily requirements. And these are the things that have to be done every single day. I personally learned this one as a recruiter. When I started out, I was a recruiter in my career. And if I recruited a couple new people, I lined up one or two companies to fill their jobs each day, if I set up a few interviews and I submitted a few candidates, if I did that, I was guaranteed that I was going to help four to six people find new jobs every single month. It made something that big that manageable. Well, I translated that into my work as a consultant. We break things down into daily and weekly activities, and we just chunk it out over time. If we do that, those minimum daily requirements to Follow that sustainable approach, the KISS principle, and then have meaningful goals. These are plans that not just work, but are often met or exceeded because they were designed to work and designed to be easily executed from the very start.
1: Yeah, those are uh, fantastic uh, buckets. I hope everyone was uh, diligently taking notes, or if you're listening after the fact on a podcast, you can easily uh, rewind, I guess, and and re-listen to that because of some some really great nuggets in there. Um, you, you know, we, we, you're kind of really walking us through this great uh, example of what people, what maybe some of the best of the best are doing and finding their talent, replacing people. But, you know, another key part of of, of any business is retaining your talent, retaining your best people. Uh, do you have any suggestions or things that you're saying that people are doing in this current marketplace to, re- to retain their best talent so they don't have to you know, quickly hire and then bring in more people.
4: Yeah. I'm going to go back to something I said earlier, Chris, when it comes to retaining talent, we've got to pick the right people and then we've got to engage the full person. So let's talk about it. And since um, you like my practical advice, let me dispense some more. And for everybody who's listening, or if you're driving, don't, don't draw what I'm about to say. Just go back and listen to the recording later. I want to give you the higher right profile right now because retention starts with selection. If we select people who fit our organization, we have a much, much higher chance of retaining them. So how do you pick the right people? So what I want you all to do right now, draw a four-quadrant grid. And the upper left-hand quadrant, I'm going to ask you to write the word deal makers. All one word, Deal makers. These are the must-haves. These are the requirements. These are the skills, the traits, the experiences, the personalities. What do you require in somebody? And the way you garner this information is you look at people who've been successful in the role. You look for the patterns among those people. It gives you infallible information as to who's worked and who's not. Now, that's the upper left. The upper right are your deal breakers. These are the must-not-haves. There's a, these are the unhelpful behaviors, the personality traits that don't work in your organization, the experience or types of experience that has not been helpful. Then the lower left are the pluses. The lower right are the minuses. These are the bonus traits or the ones you'd rather not have, but they're not knockout factors. Now, as you go back and, and, and fill this in, what I want you to do are, are to write down the rules now. And the rules are on the upper left to write the word all. Somebody must have all of the deal makers you can not or you cannot hire them. Then write none in the upper right-hand quadrant. They can't have any of the deal breakers. If they do, you cannot hire them. So they must have all the deal makers, none of the deal breakers. More is what you write on the lower left. The more of the pluses, the better, the more exceptional, higher they'll be. And then less on the lower right, the less of those uh, minuses, the better that hire is going to be as well. And this is the blueprint. If we follow this, if we don't let our emotions come into play, uh, what's interesting, Chris, is so many failed hires become failed hires because a manager likes a candidate. In my research, likability causes people to dismiss somebody missing a trait or having something that's counterproductive, and those inevitably lead to bad hires, which kills our retention. So if we follow this blueprint every single time, because we looked at the patterns of all of our successful hires and all of our failed hires, this is where retention begins. So when I look at failed hires, it's so interesting that most retention issues could have been headed off at the start had we just picked the right people in the first place.
1: Well, this is like a, a maybe a SWOT analysis, you know, candidate, valuation yeah. yeah. 2.0. I mean, I don't know what you want to call it, but I really love the way... Yeah you kind of you put it out there um using those different categories and then being able to uh, to do that um it, it ac- actual also reminded me of that little game we used to play when we were, i don't know if you ever did this in school it was like mash and you had to like uh, we had a mansion apartment a shack or a house i don't know it was like four different categories and it was like you know you, you would go through and figure out what your life was going to be when you were in third grade of course um <laughs> but, uh, i love it i love it yeah But uh, you know, just kind of having that framework is a great thing because you know this is where our business kind of comes into play and why why we have a business is people think they know people and they think that because Mm -hmm. they shook their hand and they stared into their eyes or they think they like them that they're going to be a good candidate and that is rarely the case. I mean, there's a lot of hard data there to really help people understand are they the right fit, are they are they going to work well my organization and you know, our My component for my company is the diligence part to make sure that they're telling the truth and that they are who they say they are. But what you're really describing is the softer stuff and to, you know, what are those things that are important and how do you decide if they should even be considered and then moved into a phase where, you know, I might come in and help them. Uh, so really a, a wonderful framework and um, hopefully you have that on your website or somewhere where somebody can. Can get it later on when they're not driving or moving around. It is
4: in the book. That's the good. It's in news. the book. But, uh, Even better. Know, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's in the book, and, and there's an entire chapter. But if people simply follow this, they'll they'll, they'll counteract feelings. Um, there, there's a there's a psychological axiom that logic makes us think, emotion makes us act, and therein lies the issue. The the moment we have an emotional reaction to a candidate positive, we tend to want to hire them, and this is where we become dismissive of our own criteria. That's the problem. And the same thing is the moment we have a negative emotion, even though it may not be one of those knockout factors, we immediately overlook somebody who may fit because our our emotions are now running the show. What most people don't realize is how much of an emotional impact there is in hiring and that we have to take some of that out. That's also where, you know, the work that you do comes into play is when you're psychologically validating that somebody's a fit or not, we're countering those emotions that can interfere with great selection.
1: Well, this is also, and so if we want to maybe kind of cross our our paths here, I kind of get into the idea or this concept of, of cognitive biases, right? So this is the Science is a version of why in the heck does that happen? What you're talking about? Um, often we we find someone, and then we, there's a great one called confirmation bias. So we start yeah. we only hear and only accept the facts that that tell us that this is a great person, and we ignore all the other facts and all the other things that are happening that tell us they're not because we want it to be true. And uh, often just recognizing that phenomenon, understand that it occurs, is a is a pretty big defense in in hurting you in the long run and and then using tools like the ones in your book that you've described uh which i will be purchasing here the as soon as we're done because I, I didn't have time to write the chart out the way you said it but um i definitely want to take a look at it um is it are great ways that we can do that so i really appreciate you kind of exposing that to us today it's it's great stuff um what uh, gadget or app or thing have you put in your life recently that you can't live without that you might share with the the audience?
4: Yeah, yeah, so ask me a month from now. This will change. But right now, it is a meditation app of all things called Calm, C-A-L-M. I'm a longtime meditator. And uh, I find it's just indispensable in my life. And I do it whether I'm sitting on a plane or on the Hertz bus. It's just a way of remaining calm when there's so much about life that's not calm. And what I love about this, even though I've been meditating for a long time, there's stuff for me. But I found it through my friends who are new in meditation. You know, and these are guys. Guys are meditating now because there's so much that can stress us out. This thing is neat. And, and it's you know, you, the, the app is free, and you can try it, and then there's a yearly subscription And uh, it's fantastic. I I am loving this thing because every day is a little little something different. And it takes, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. And I've found that uh, I have a pretty peaceful existence and meditation is a great reason why. And, And this is a new tool that helps me do that.
1: Yeah, I love Calm, Headspace, also Brain.fm. Those are some other great ones that have different uh, ones. I use Brain.fm not for meditating but also for focus. They have a whole... You know, sounds that come through the headphone that really help me focus. Um, What I probably need is an app that will completely shut down my phone and all of my electronics and my Wi-Fi if I don't meditate for 30 minutes. Um, Oh, I like
4: that. There you go. Some developers listening to you, and they're going to start on that. (laughs) Right. I mean,
1: build it. Please bring it on. Like, shut my whole life down until I do what I'm supposed to do, because that's the hardest part about meditating for me is the, okay, stop. I need to actually do it because I'm doing it. I'm happy. When I've done it, I'm happy. I'm happy. I I sometimes don't always get to it. So, uh, you know, we mentioned your book, um, uh, which I think definitely people should check out, um, High Velocity Hiring, How uh, to Hire Top Talent in an Instant. Um, But is there any other book that you're reading right now or that you suggest people check out that uh, maybe you didn't author?
4: I do. Um, So something I'm about a third of the way into is called Known, K-N-O-W-N, by Mark Schaefer. If I remember right, he refers to it as a handbook for building your personal brand. And then, uh, oh, he uses the word unleashes it, unleashing it in the digital age. Yeah, you know, this, this big tech world of ours, this show is a great example. This show is going to go out on podcasts. It's going to be out there in, in the, uh, the, the Twitter sphere and such. You now, this is a big online world, and I find that navigating it gets more interesting as time goes along. I also love it because we can reach more people. Again, this show being a great example. I think Mark has nailed it down to something that is very straightforward, and uh, I, I'm finding it quite interesting so far and uh, look forward to getting through it. So I recommend anybody who you know, needs to create presence, and who doesn't these days, uh, a great read and well-written by Mark.
1: Well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in working with you, finding out more uh, with uh, Wintrip Consulting Group?
4: So I suggest everybody go to highvelocityhiring.com. That will take you to an internal page on my site that will show you the book so you know what that's about. But I would recommend you link from there. I've got a great blog with all kinds of videos and podcasts and content. You'll also find a Contact Us page as well.
1: Well, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today and uh, sharing such great content um, and your your, your kind of helpful, practical tips, which is really what the show is all about, that people can take something back uh, into their own lives and use it. Uh, check out his book. Um, but thanks again for being on the show. we would love to have you come back at some point and give us an update.
4: Chris, I would be honored and all the best with your book. May it exceed your expectations, and I can't wait to read it.
1: Hey, if someone more than just my mom buys it, then we'll be doing good. So...
4: You have at least me, I I guarantee say because I love the title. And I'm going to enjoy that yellow cover, I promise.
1: All right. Next week, don't forget to tune in. We'll have uh, Dr. Uh, Lopora Menifee, uh, Vice President of Talent Management and Change Leadership and uh, Human Resources for Next Gen People. Wow, that is an incredible title. And then uh, Jason uh, Leverett, the President and Chief Operating Officer at At Work Group. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.